Thanks so much, Hez. And then can we again just thank our worship and our tech team for coming through as always. Britt's clapping in the building right now with a handful of other people that are here. If you're out there in cyberspace, thank you so much as always for joining us and this week having a little extra patience. If you're a guest with us today and you want to get more information or connect with real people, you can send out an email to info at sunridgechurch.org. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, welcome. My name is Jed. It's a privilege to serve as one of our pastors on staff. And if Sunridge is your home church, we're so glad that you're joining us again. You can share that you're watching and invite your friends and family still at this moment. All right, we're in the final week of a series that we've entitled Promised Land, where we've been studying and looking at the children of the nation of Israel at a 10,000 foot level as they journeyed into and were within the promised land of Canaan. And this morning, the title of our message is called Eyes to See. And so we're going to begin with a picture that's going to take up your screen. So why don't you go ahead and look at that, Megs, if you could put that up right now. I'll give you a few moments. If you are looking at this picture in the chat box, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you see? What do your eyes see? Perhaps you've seen this picture before. I'm going to leave it up. I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's remove the picture. Now you're seeing my old face again. What did you see first? In the comment box, what did you see first? And I wish that I could see what you were typing out. Hey, Britt, why don't you yell at me? What are people, uh, what are they saying right now? Woman. Woman. <laughs> Old woman. All right, Megs, if you could kindly put that picture up again. Let me talk you through this. This is a classic piece of artwork that is actually called My Wife and My Mother-in-Law. And if you look at it closely, you can see that staring off into the distance over her right shoulder is actually a young woman who would be the artist's wife, right? You can see her nose at the top left. You can see semblances of her eyelashes and she's staring off in the distance. But then when you focus on her choker necklace, you begin to see the lips of an older woman and what were her ears or suddenly her mother's weary eyes. I love that picture. It reminds us that there are layers to reality, there are layers to our perception, and there's so much more to reality than what we see at face value, what we catch first. Mags, you can remove that from us. So if the reality is that we can see things at different layers, and we have to ask ourselves, well, what do we get stuck seeing first? And how does seeing affect our ability to be? How does seeing affect our living, our walking, our creating, our acting, our doing? And that picture is just a small way to demonstrate that you and I are probably inclined to look at things a certain way. The things called first inclination, first instinct, first impression. The reality is we can say first but most of those things actually aren't our firsts. Because when we look at other people, or when we look at our relationships, what we think are new thoughts actually are probably old ways of seeing things, but then putting them onto whatever it is that we're looking at. So what is it in your life that perhaps you're stuck seeing a certain way? 
seeing a certain ways that God may want to dislodge you out of. Something that he might want to give you fresh perspective for, and yet for whatever reason, <laughs> called your brain, you continue to look at it a particular way. What if God has something more for you? I believe that he does. Because as we've seen in this series, and we've said it over and over again, and this was the main thrust of our series, you'll, you'll find it on our screens, the promised land was never really about the land. Instead, it was about living in covenant with the living God, the one who fulfills every promise. And that was the main obstacle for the children in the nation of Israel, is that they so interpreted God's promise to them as being all about the land. And even though it was absolutely a component to God's covenant promise that he originally established with Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't exactly all that he had for them. He had himself a living relationship, something that would entail of them to actually go as he directed. And is that not what they did? They went in faith. This morning, the, the book that forms the actual exegetical backdrop for this sermon is actually the book of Hebrews. And I love the book of Hebrews because the way in which the author reflects on his or her spiritual and national heritage, his or her ancestry, this Jewish faith, this Hebraic way of seeing the world, there's actually so much reinterpretation. There's so much fresh perspective that we find in the book of Hebrews. It's radical, and this radical perspective finds its grounding in Jesus, the Christ. And arguably the most famous chapter in all of Hebrews, one that has compelled readers throughout the centuries, is known as the Bible's Hall of Faith, a play on the Hall of Fame. We can find it in Hebrews chapter 11. And what's so fascinating to me about this chapter and what I love about the author of Hebrews is that even though they absolutely could have looked at story after story in the Old Testament and seen the true human way of disappointing and failing and struggling, all of these pericopes, all of these stories, they highlight the good parts, the best parts the faithful parts. And that does something to me because I know when I look at my life, it's really easy to concentrate on the failures and the struggles and the pain. And yet I love that in Christ, as the author of Hebrews so eloquently puts over and over and over again, it's the moments of faith where we actually trust the words and the word of God to direct us, where we take bold and risky steps that are remembered, that are reflected upon. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says this strikingly about all of these men and women. All of these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confess that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. 
And when we read these passages of scripture, particularly this one, we start to think about that heavenly country, that distant place, that place where we long to be. It's spoken of here, it's called heaven. What's fascinating, however, is that if you read the Old Testament closely, the Hebrew scriptures closely, you actually will not see these individuals saying that they're yearning for a place other than the land, the physical land that they were going to. We don't see them asking God for a heavenly country, a better city of sorts that transcends the ground that they find their feet walking on. In fact, when you see the Old Testament, the way that it's written, these normal people just like you and I, their fear, their real fear is death. Their real fear is death. In our translation, some of your Bibles may say the pit or the ground. More accurately, you would say Sheol this place underneath the earth where people would go to lay down and rest and sleep with their ancestors. And Moses, in his Psalm 90, where he talks about how humans have maybe 70 or 80 years reflecting on the imminence of death, would would write these words, so teach us to count our days so that we may gain a wise heart. There's something impactful about knowing that it ends. There's something significant about having the sense of it coming at us, that every moment that we're alive, we're actually one moment closer to finality. And yet what the author of Hebrews does so well and what the New Testament gives us so much hope for is that it does not just end at our last breath, which is why you can have your first fill in the blank here, where we know that heaven is our promised land. It, it is the place in which we long to meet. But here's the key. It's hardly about a particular place and all about a particular person. And this is why it's critical for us. Because if we get trapped thinking it's about a physical destination, I'm not saying it's not gonna be physical, trust me. There's a bodily resurrection when Jesus comes to his disciples. He's not coming as a ghost or a spirit. He's coming with flesh and bones. They can see his palms and feel his side. It is a bodily resurrection. That is the hope that I have. And when we place our faith and our trust in Christ, we are saying we do absolutely believe that after this version of our life is over, over eternity we step into. But it's critical for us to remember that Jesus himself emphasizes that it's not just about a physical place, but in fact he can say in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he say? No one comes to the Father except through me. What precedes that, however, that's so fascinating to me, and every time I do memorials, I make sure to highlight this for the people that are there. Because often when we're in John chapter 14, and understandably, when we think about people who have passed from this life to the next, we we concentrate on how Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. And we read the dwelling places, and some older translations would say there are many rooms or many mansions, and we start fantasizing about the streets of gold or the particulars of the dimensions of what the place of heaven is going to be like. But just like the children of Israel, what I'm concerned of, and I think we do need to be concerned of, is if we only think about the physicalness of a place, we forget that all along wasn't about that place 
It could be anywhere in the cosmos. But the person who made it possible, who brings us, not just there, but catch this. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you, but in verse 3, Jesus says this. Here's the emphasis. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Type this out in the chat box. And take you to myself. I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also there with me, Jesus says. And this beautiful picture of being face to face with him. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, as the writer of Hebrews would say, that he's the exact representation and image of the Father. Or as John writes, full of glory. It's Jesus Christ. Or as Paul would write in the famous chapter of 1 Corinthians, that, that, went, that someday, when all things are consummated, we're not going to see it the way we do, as in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Then we will know fully even as we have been fully known. And from the beginning in the garden, where God walks among the trees searching for the hidden man and woman, to its culmination, where mortals dwell with God and he with them. We have this revelation over and over of human beings who are being transformed because of faith. 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 There's next fill in the blank. Faith in Christ is the greatest miracle. You ever thought about how if you're sitting here watching Perhaps you're the answer to someone else's prayers. Uh, we were walking in our empty building. We have a guest named Jacqueline, and she's not really a guest. She's been at Sunridge for, for years. And she came to visit today so that afterwards uh, we could spend some time and, and maybe talk through worship. As we're walking through the hallways, Jackie comments, it looks so big in this place. I remember being here years ago when I was writing down names on the concrete for people that we are praying for. And I've heard Britt share those stories. I've heard John Gaskin share those stories. I've heard Bob Santi share those stories. And maybe you were there. Maybe you were in this industrial building that was being renovated and transformed sometime after the turn of the century, writing down names, praying for people. You know, Andrew Dykehouse, he, he's running our tech. He's our audio tech guy. He was here as a kid writing down names. Someone may have written down his name. Maybe someone wrote down your name. The reality is, again, for us to come to faith in Christ, for us to believe what truly is absurd, what Paul would write is foolishness to the world. It's not a matter of us trying harder or mustering up the strength to fathom or comprehend. No, there is a divine initiative, a divine persuasion. That's what faith is when the Holy Spirit 
in us would quicken something in us to believe and to trust that even though we cannot see, even though Peter writes, though you have not seen him, he writes, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's something that happens inside of us that we cannot produce. And the reason why the author of Hebrews can reflect so positively on these characters, these individuals, these real men and women is not because they were perfect. It's not because they had this bold, risky face all the time, but they tried, they walked, they attempted, they looked to trust and they certainly did fail, but their direction culminated in the living God. And so in chapter 12, When the author of Hebrews writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, all those who have come before us who have not been perfect, no, but whose perspective has been fixed, not on a physical destination, but the promise maker and the promise keeper, then and only then we can throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us and we can fix our eyes on Jesus who the author and perfecter of our what? Our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the what? The cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand the throne of God. A picture of completeness, of triumph, of victory. And I love how the, one, the running imagery, it's deployed in this moment. This author of Hebrews would have understand that more often than anything in Scripture, the imagery for them was walking with God. We've talked about that. It was walking. And yet, when you recognize and you see that ahead of you isn't just a place, but the person who makes all things possible, you don't walk anymore. You throw it off. And you run hard and at times you start losing your breath and your knees get tired but like Isaiah would say we would run and not grow weary or as the author of Hebrews would later write we would strengthen our feeble knees And that which is lame wouldn't be placed out of joint. It would, in fact, be healed. That there's this trusting that is sinful and is broken and is messed up as I am. And moving directionally toward Jesus Christ, who is not only the destination, but the way. He is in all places simultaneously. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character, the Word, there at the beginning. The one who, it says in Hebrews, it's by the word of God that what was, that what was seen was made from things that are not visible. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes that this created cosmos, all the things that we see and we can touch and perceive, they were created by the invisible word that God would decide there was so much more than just his self-existing in relationship, this triune relationship. No, there was so much more to be created and to be seen and to be had, and so he speaks it, and it happens. And when we choose to trust in Jesus, something happens inside of us that others can't see. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. There's this story, this parable of the legendary Winston Churchill. 
We know Winston Churchill is a great prime minister who, who can be seen as responsible in many ways for the world's fight against the Nazi war machine, but he was just one man, and yet as one individual who had something change in his heart, so much transpired for the world that, that absolutely altered the trajectory of our history. And there's this parable, this story of a rabbi who comes to Winston Churchill and, and, and he tells him, Winston, there are two ways, there are two ways that God can deliver us from the war machine. He says one is supernatural and one is natural. And he goes on to give him the natural way first. He says if 10,000 angels descended from heaven with their flaming swords onto Poland, and they stood before the Nazis, and they used their flaming swords to overtake them, and their tanks, and their guns, that would be the natural thing. It would be the natural thing because as philosopher, theologian Peter Rollins interprets, the natural thing, the things that we see in nature, the things that are in being, they might be wild, we may not be able to understand them, but to see and touch for those flaming swords to come into contact with metal, that would be a natural thing. But then the rabbi says, the, the supernatural thing is if 10,000 Englishmen jump out of parachutes and descend onto Poland and stand with the oppressed and fight on behalf of those who are being taken over, that would be the supernatural thing. And it would be the supernatural thing that story describes because it would mean that something happened inside the heart of the British. Something was in them that couldn't necessarily just be tied to a moment, but something would need to be provoked over and over and over again so they would have the boldness to make good on that change of heart. There'd be a transformation of mind. And that leads us to our next point. There's this transformation of mind that happens when we understand the kingdom is the intersection of the promised land of heaven and our current lives on earth. And we've taught this before over and over. Jesus, he talks of nothing more than the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And yet he speaks about it in a way that says it's not just this distant place. It comes and invades our way of living on this planet because the heart of it is this unlikely, unexpected king. That's the paradox, the absurdity, the goodness of the gospel. Over and over we've, we've, we've spoken that and attempted to live and respond to that. And so when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, again, he's not a sidewalk preacher screaming, turn or burn. He's issuing an invitation for our minds to be transformed. The stuff of neuroscience that Paul would write about in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And I love the Greek there, test and approve, dokimonzao, literally means try it, see not, you'll know exactly, but if you understand that preceding that in chapter 8, that God's will, his purpose, his plan for you is that we would be conformed to the image of the Son, then to become like Jesus is to care about what he cares about, and he cares about nothing more than the kingdom of heaven, and see how subtle it is that he doesn't say, I care about me. It is such a subtle thing for the king to say, care about the kingdom. His eyes, even then, are not on himself because his rule and his reign, the manner in which he is the king, goes after the people and the ones who instead of being overtaken and thrown off and empowered, no, he goes to get on his knees. 
He goes to serve. He goes to sit with those who otherwise would not have a place at the table. He touches those who do not have touch, who have not been touched perhaps in centuries. He gives sight to people who long to see. He produces sound again so people can hear the birds and laughter. But more than just the stuff of physical, he goes and he gives people a sense of their humanness. He says their names. He lets little kids play with his beard. He lets people weep at his feet. He meets with men in the middle of the night who are curious. He comes into homes and lets women sit like disciples, as disciples. And everywhere that he goes, we see that his actions, his consistently surprising actions can be grounded in what he teaches the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six when he writes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, Father, beam us up out of this place. He doesn't say this world is going to hell in a handbasket. He doesn't say, I'm just waiting to fly away in the glory. He says, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. That it would happen, that we would see it on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why the author of Hebrews can write in verse 26 of chapter 12. But now he is promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and offer. Indeed, our God is a consuming fire. He's not just a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke that gets or leads He's a fire that burns away and refines and purifies. I love this image that the kingdom that we're receiving, it can't shake with an earthquake. It can't shake like this building. It can't be felled or fallen. It can't undergo any type of physical toppling like the temple, the place where they believe that God was. It can't undergo something like Sunridge Community Church where we're told we can't meet here anymore and then we have to decide to do something else. God doesn't need this building. He didn't need that temple. He was looking, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, for people who would worship in the spirit and the truth. True worshipers, Jesus says. And true worship is to understand that the Father has revealed himself clearly through his Son, the King, Jesus, the Christ. And this imagery of stuff being shaken or burned away and, and, and what remains? I know it's been a frustrating, disappointing season for us. I've been frustrated too, but my frustration, I believe, God has used to reveal more of my sinfulness than anything. And I believe that so much of what we've 
hold, cling to, the stuff that we've tried to, to, to keep doing. God might be saying, stop that. You don't need that. No more dependence on your structures, the places of security and comfort. Let me shake it away and strip it away so I can truly see whether or not you will seek the kingdom first and all its righteousness and then ironically all the things that you worry about, all the stuff that you're concerned for, the troubles of today that seem to perpetuate into tomorrow. Those will be taken care of too. So Sunridge Community Church, I just have a couple of things I'd like for us to consider as we close out this series and as we delay our hopes for just the physical heaven, but we consider how much is still in us that needs to be stripped off so that our hearts are pure for our King. And the opportunity as citizens to live for Him and to make something happen, to participate. Here's what it is, we would dare We would dare to reimagine and respond to Jesus Christ being risen and reconciling. When you were a kid, you you played. You saw stuff in your mind that other people didn't see. When I watched my three boys run around in the backyard and they've got towels wrapped around them or they're jumping off of the couches or Truey's just swinging his sword at trees in this backyard all by himself. He's imagining a world and we could say he's just playing, but consider that for him that is his life. That moment of doing and swinging and screaming and falling down the ground laughing with no one else there but the stuff that he is creating in his head, that is his life. And the reason why this is so important is because I think that many of us have forgotten that the church wasn't what we've made it to be. The church was ever and only a movement a movement of people who were responding to the risen Christ, the risen Messiah, the physical resurrection of Jesus the Christ who defeated not just sin but death and gives us the opportunity to not just go someplace someday but to have life fulfilling here and now. He's risen, he's reconciling as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as co-workers of God. We urge you not to take the grace of God in vain because the thing that faith produces, the thing that it produces isn't just the stuff of walking, it's the sense of actually being able to stand still for a moment and recognize His grace available for even me. Miraculous thing to recognize that He wouldn't give up on this and me and you. And when we're persuaded over and over of that, you know what we're called to do? We're called to help each other remember that. That is what this is. These are human beings who are writing to one another to stoke fire and flame, to help them see and feel and in seeing and feeling the world in a different way. When Paul writes, therefore, as anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Other translations, they put it better like that Aladdin song, A Whole New World. It's 
seeing that there's a whole new world available to us. The reality is if you are in Christ, there is a new creation, but that new creation, it's amongst stuff that looks so old, and sometimes you and I, we look so old. We look so dead. We still look so sinful, but those things aren't the things that are going to be remembered because the only reason why we would have anything in us that would want to do so much more is because of the God who himself is the promise. He is the one that will finish this. He started it. He's going to do it. So participate in it. Participate in it. Find the opportunity that exists in reality where he is declaring that you are made new. You have a new name. You have a new status. You don't have to stay the same anymore. And if you consider and remember that life, all that life is, it's all relationship and interactions. That's all that life is. Our relationship, not just to God or to other things, but think about it. It's, about, it's our relationship to how we view the day, our relationship to our pleasures, our relationship to pain, our relationship to struggle, our relationship to our spouses, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our strangers, to food, to sleep, to exercise. All of these things we are in relationship with and the only way that these lame things that could fall out of joint become healed is if our thoughts about them and stuff and ourselves is transformed not to see it the way an earthly person like we are inclined to would see it, but if we take on the mind of Christ who sees something beyond what is just perceptible. And so what we decide to invest in looks ridiculous to the world. And so I just have a few questions that I'd want us to consider. But before we show this question, I'm going to show you a video. It's seven seconds long. And yet there's so much more within. didn't even catch it. It was so fast. Megs, can we play that one more time? And my friend Matt Hens doesn't want me to do this and he's watching live right now, but I'm sorry, bud. I'm calling you out. You reached out several months ago to, to give our staff some reprieve as we were facing the pressure to reopen the building just like you were in your batting facility. And you brought us in and you gave us a chance to hear the sound of balls flying off of metal and wooden bats. And that playground feel. You feel in your hands again. And when it makes contact, it reverberates and something happens in your being. Because God gives us the opportunity to move and to play. And our middle school students, just like our high school students, just like our Block 45 students, just like our, our young adults at 1824, their, their camp, the thing that they're supposed to do, that was supposed to be the high of their summer, it was taken away. And so we had high school students and college students and people like you, Matt, who made it possible for us to have some nights. We'd get together experience life at seven seconds that had many more seconds and minutes in a few hours. And most of the eight billion people on this planet had no idea it was happening, but God knew. And those of us who were there knew. 
And it's people like you, man. People like you who decide. I'm going to dare to reimagine what it looks like to operate in a world where COVID is. And instead of just thinking about myself, I'm going to consider those around me. And maybe, just maybe, I'll open up a physical space so that something inside of people can come alive. And then, you know, a couple miles down the road here at Sunridge Community Church, as that was happening down there simultaneously, as Hez mentioned earlier, that Lise and Matthew and other people were here praying, praying for our educators who are experiencing the loss, praying for the families and the students, and then asking one another, what are we, what can we do? And instead of just needing the particulars of that, why don't we just seek after the person of Christ? Why don't we look to respond to him the way that the church ever and only was for all of the centuries, going after him and saying, Jesus, where are you moving? What reminds us that we are all in need, not just there's a need and I'm going to meet it. No, 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 no. Jesus, you're saying we are all in need. And as we journey with you toward one another, we experience healing. So I have a couple questions, Sunders. Ask yourselves these questions and ask the people around you. When you think about reimagining what this world can be like, what new creation can look like for the kingdom of heaven to intersect with our current lives here on earth, let's ask these questions. Number one, what seems too small or insignificant? What doesn't seem like a big deal? What's not going to make the front page news? What do you not have to tell your followers on Instagram? What do you not have to tweet out to the people in the Twitterverse? What do you not have to tell anyone about? What do you not have to maybe even take a picture of? What are you just going to live in? There was a video of us at DBAT, but you're not seeing the pictures of us at Kathy and Garrett Pelissier's house where we're swimming the middle school students on Friday night. You're not seeing that Jim Toth, our operating manager at Chick-fil-A, decided to give us all of that food so the kids wouldn't have to worry and the parents wouldn't have to worry about providing meals. You're not seeing those things, but they happened. And for Jim and for Kathy and for Garrett, that's no big deal. Easy peasy. They can do that. It was huge. Ask yourself, what seems too small? What seems like loaves and fishes, but what can you bring to the greater one? And we can ask ourselves this question, what seems too bold or daunting? Because perhaps those loaves and fishes that we have seem so insignificant that to step forward to the Messiah with them, it doesn't even feel right. This doesn't even feel like enough. Oh, but would you trust would you trust? Would you have the faith? Would he persuade you to believe it's really not about you or your stuff, or your capabilities? No, no, no. It's about his hands and his ability to take, as Paul writes, to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power at work within who? Within us. That partnership. So what is it? Another question we ask, how would Jesus be doing the unexpected for the people in front of him? Think about your lives and your life and your relationship, the people around you that I'm not in front of. The people that you encounter at your home address or the baristas at your coffee shops, coffee shops or, or, or the teachers in the fall who your kids were supposed to be placed with that they aren't going to be physically with for some time or the coaches in your kids' life who are feeling the loss of not getting to be able to hang out with the kids that they love. Who are the people in front of you? And how did Jesus do the unexpected consistently? How is he always surprising to those around him? And ask yourself, God, if I could surprise myself, 
by actually doing something that seems too small or too bold? Would you give me the faith to trust that you're going to do immeasurably more? And when you ask yourself those questions about the people in front of you, you know what I'm convinced happens? We don't just do those small things. We actually, as person after person, I mean, I wish I could name off all of, uh, of the high school students and the middle school students and the young adults that, that were there this past week with Teddy and I. As we, I mean, Avery and Amy Moore, let's just say Owen, little Owie was there. Georgia Juve, Jared Bird, Katie Bowen, Sophia Noble, Ryan Stanton, Olivia Fretz, Nicole Bamonte, Rachel Morgan. Uh, oh man, am I missing any? I hope that I'm not uh, making it happen. Serving the people in front of them, because here's the last question. There are tasks for us that require us to work side by side next to each other. After our worship this morning, Britt's gonna come up and he'll have a pastoral moment with our church, and I really, really hope and pray that you listen. He's gonna be talking about our upcoming series called Half the Church. Would you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the mind of Christ to know that even though we are absolutely going to be talking about women's roles in ministry and all the stuff, right, the policy stuff, all the, would you please see and hear and know and believe and trust that when it comes to our lead pastor, Britt, and our elders and our staff and our heart and love for this church, it's not about just changing policies and figuring out what can women do? No, 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 no. It's about remembering that this is called the kingdom. It's the kingdom. The kingdom are human beings, men, women, young, old, much knowledge of scripture, nothing at all, confident or scared, whatever it is, all seasons and stages and walks of life who are compelled by the king. And in being compelled by the king, they would go side by side with one another to dream up wild, foolish, absurd things. And then in dreaming them up and giving them to God, something would actually happen. Sunridge. It's not about a church called Sunridge. We're small. And yet the irony is when we can say that and truly believe that, then doesn't God make us feel so significant? Does not remind us that we're not just wasting our time pumping out work, wondering whether or not people are out there watching us or doing anything? Are you gonna join us? Are you gonna live with us, dare with us, dream with us, risk with us, reimagine? with us. Let's pray. Father, you are set apart and holy. We could say, hallowed be your name. And yet you reveal in your son, Jesus, that you don't keep us at distance. You move toward us. And then we say, so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, you're doing something here and now we trust you. And God, we ask you to give us our daily bread to provide for us as you do. God, would we forgive those who have sinned against us if you have forgiven us? And would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? God, all of this is yours. Your kingdom, your cosmos, our lives, our stories, our thoughts, our actions. And so would you repattern us to look crazy to people around us so they would be compelled with so much more than just thinking that church is a place where you go a couple times a month and hear someone talk at you. God, would we respond to your risen and reconciling son, Jesus the Christ, and would we find so much enjoyment in that, in you. In his name we pray, amen.